Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Uh, my name's Chris, one of the pastors here at Kessid, and it is my honor to be sharing this Memorial Day weekend. Um, I don't know what your plans are but this weekend, but before we jump into the message, Joe kind of alluded to it, but um, just a, a tiny bit of diving back into my story. So when I was growing up in, in our home, we had a TV in the living room, and then we only had one more, right? And it was in my parents' room. And my dad and mom got like first, I don't know how it was for you, but dad and mom got first pick of what to watch in the evening, right? And so they would watch uh, TV in there. My sister and I would go lay on my parents' waterbed, right? And watch and and say that we're watching Wheel of Fortune, but then when my parents would leave, we watched The Simpsons, you know? And, And I remember this pretty vividly. And one of the things I remember about this is to my, as I'm sitting on the waterbed, on the wall, there is a framed uh, image and, and name, and that name is Prentice B. Boykin Jr. And that name represented my, da- my dad's very best friend in high school, who lost his life in service to our country. Now, my entire life, it was sitting there, and I didn't know what it means, and I didn't know what it was, but somehow, some way, that left an imprint on me that honoring is a part of what we do. That was one of my dad's subtle way of just honoring his friends. And I, and I say that because I recognize on this particular weekend, this is one of the most unique um, holidays that we have because especially generationally, this hits differently. So for some of us, we may know someone who lost someone. For some of us, we, we lost someone. And so when we say Memorial Day, that's attached to a story and an experience there. And so I just, I want to begin our message with a, a, a kind of an awareness of that reality. And as we go through the, the message and then even through the weekend, there's a, a kind of an opening and, a, and a, a readiness to see people in their individual stories. And I think this holiday is one that just hits people uniquely in their stories, Right? Amen? Is that good? Okay, let's dive into our message here today. So, there are four different accounts in the New Testament of the life and ministry of Jesus, right? Four different ways of telling his profound story. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the very end of the first gospel, the book of Matthew, right? And we're going to look at some of Jesus' most profound words. Now, this is the very end of his his life, his ministry. Um, he, at this point, he has been crucified. He has been resurrected. And he gathers the disciples for some instructions, some powerful instructions. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus says this. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says this profound statement over his disciples and that's how the book ends. Just that. So here's the thing. What I want to do is dive into this today. I think it's really important for us, wherever you're at, beginning today in your kind of faith journey, regardless, it seems really important for us to understand, at least grow into a deeper understanding of this, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to make disciples. 
And so here's what I want to do today. I, w- I just want to begin with, so, so maybe this is your very first time in church. Maybe you've been at church for a long time. But often churches will talk about this idea of discipleship, right? And it's not like, like the most exciting thing ever to talk about, but it's one of the most impactful things. So I, here's what I want to do just together in, in, in acknowledgement that, that we have more to learn and, and we want to be open th- to that is I just love to pray for us, but I want your help in that. And here's what I want to ask of you. As I pray, I would just ask for you to just place your hands out like this, your palms up, right? And I'm asking you to participate with me kind of in a posture of I have some more to, no, no matter where I'm starting from in this discipleship journey, I have more that I can be taught and learn and grow into this idea of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, all right? So let me pray for us. Lord, I pray over all of us here today. I pray a posture of openness. I pray that we would open ourselves up, our minds and our hearts, our stories up to you as much as we are able. I pray for a fresh anointing from you, Lord. I pray for a fresh speaking of truth and wisdom over us. And I pray, Lord, that this beautiful concept of being a disciple of Christ would be fresh today, that we would walk out today with a new understanding of it, Lord. So just impart to us, speak to us, be with us here today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, let's start with two not-so-simple questions, okay? Two not-so-simple questions. Here's the first one. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Second question, how do you make one? Right? So we just read that Jesus is calling us to go and make disciples, and so it seems pretty important that we, if we should understand what a disciple is, and then we should really put some effort and energy into understanding, like, how do you, like, like make one? right? So let's start with this idea. Jesus was not the first one to call disciples. He didn't make up the concept. It was known in this day, religious leaders, rabbis would call disciples to follow them, to sit underneath them. It was an ancient form, and this is one of my favorite ways of understanding discipleship. It was an ancient form of apprenticeship. It was this idea that I was going to come and learn under someone else that had devoted their life to a particular thing or craft or understanding, and I was going to be with them, and as they did it, I was going to be right next to them, and I was going to learn it moment by moment. And this wasn't a casual commitment to be an apprentice, right, or to be a disciple. This was a full life commitment. So we're going to start with kind of a running definition together. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is with, learns from, becomes like, and does what their teacher does. Let me read that for us again. A disciple is someone who is with, learns from, becomes like, and does what their teacher does. Now, although this idea of discipleship is not one that Jesus just created, his invitation is unique. His invitation is to come and learn under him a new way to live and to be and to love. And what I want to do is dive into the next book, the next gospel, the book of Mark, where Jesus is giving further clarity as to where the road of of apprenticeship might lead for those who do it. Mark chapter 8 verse 31 says this, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus pulls his disciples together and he gives clarity and he, dro- he really drops a bomb. He says, how you think this is going to end is not how it's going to end. My path, my, my journey goes through death. I will be rejected. And you have to notice this. If you're a disciple of Christ, if Jesus is saying that his path goes through that and you're an apprentice that follows him everywhere, that you begin to realize that, wait a second, does that mean my path goes through there as well? And we see one of the responses by a disciple, um, Peter, it says, verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, saying about Jesus, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I want you to think about that for a second, all right? Have you ever, like, tried to rebuke your boss before? Your parents? Like, what does it take to actually be willing to do that? Peter, somehow, as the one being apprenticed, Here's the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus kind of pulls the small group together and says, guys, I need you to understand this. This journey as we move through life and ministry, it's going to go through persecution. It's going to go through death. And after three days, I will rise again. And Peter somehow inside of him says, that can't be it. Jesus, we need to have a little sidebar over here. And I need to pull you back into the mission that we're really on, right? Peter just, he has to have some some crazy, like, courage and, and mostly just crazy in, inside of him, right? And he pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. But verse 33 says, But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He rebuked the rebuker, right? So what he did, so check this out. Peter pulls Jesus aside, and Jesus sees this as an opportunity. And as he's about to rebuke Peter, he says, This isn't... This isn't going to be a one-on-one like you wanted. We're actually going to pull the other disciples together, and they need to see what's about to happen here. And look at what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is the rabbi teaching others to live and to to value what he values. And he's saying, this is a really important teaching opportunity. Peter, you've gone off script onto our mission. And so this isn't just for you. The other disciples need to see this. This is off mission. And I'm willing to bring a really strong rebuke against you so that we see the weight. If you try to keep me from the exact mission that my father has sent me on, that you have aligned yourself with the enemy and we're not going to stand for that. And so you're going to have to, as my disciple, receive that rebuke, right? Those are some really strong words. Now, Peter is the loud and boisterous one of the group and oversteps his role and Jesus corrects him and calls him Satan. Now, for a second, can you just imagine that idea that you... Are, have given your life to train under the spiritual leader, just the human side of this, and then you're doing your best, and something inside of you was like, Jesus is wrong, and you pull him aside, and then he literally just calls you Satan in front of your friends, right? Can you imagine that? Anyone been called Satan by a spiritual leader before? A couple of us, right? All right I'm raising, I have. Anyone been called Satan by a spiritual leader inside a church before? I have. Anyone been called Satan by a spiritual leader that just happens to be the lead pastor of Kesset Church, Danny Clinton, before? Raise your hand. (laughs) I have. You guys want to hear a story? Okay. 
So let's zoom back in my life almost 20 years ago. I am a brand new believer, right? And I don't know much about anything. I don't know. You guys keep singing weird. I show up and you're singing about blood and stuff and I don't understand, right? I just know Jesus has done something in my life. There's a core message. Jesus loves me, right? That's the only one that just has resonated and I'm starting to feel it and I don't really know how to understand it. And so I'm just, I can't help but like share that everywhere I go, right? And I happen to be going to Clark College and at this point... Right? If you wanted to do some computer work, this is dating me a little bit, you had to go to the computer lab. Right? And so I went to the computer lab, and it's just rows of computers, and I'm doing work, and somebody comes and sits right next to me, and I look over, and I recognize her, and it's a girl that I went to high school with. And we start talking, and like, like boisterous young uh, believer me, I can't help but share that Jesus loves me, and this is what's going on in my life, and I don't know what that means, but things are changing, and she just is excited for that, and she goes, that's wonderful, and I share a little bit about, I was led to Christ by an amazing, amazing uh, man, Pastor Eddie Stanton, who still pastors in Battleground, Washington at Landmark Church, one of my favorite human beings and Christ-like individuals I've ever experienced before, right, and so I began to be discipled by him, but but at that point, the church was pretty small and so they didn't know what to do with like 21 year old me so they were like why don't you come to youth group so I showed up and I'm 21 and I have my (laughs) I have my mortgage license and my own place and my and I'm sitting next to a 13 year old picking his nose you know and I'm like I don't know if this is a place for me right and so she was like hey I go to this thing on Wednesday nights and it's kind of this mix of like middle school high school and young adults and it's it's pretty cool. Why don't you come with me? Here, I'll pick you up. And said, okay, because I'm open at this point. So she picks me up. We show up to this place. We come in. They're already doing worship. And I sit down on the side, right? And they're, they're kind of closing the worship, uh, the musical part. And I look in the back, and there's kind of this crazy-haired guy in the back talking real energetically. You know, later I'd learn that that's Pastor Danny Clinton. Um, and he's talking to this, like, tall, skinny, lanky guy, and my heart drops when I see that because I know him. This man that he's talking to is one of my very best friends from high school and then after high school. This person we met playing football in middle school, and we became thick as thieves in like high school and then afterwards, even being roommates at one point. Now, give you a little tiny bit of backstory to the backstory, this gentleman about a year prior, even though we were together every day doing life apart from Jesus, I'll just tell you that, he had his own interaction with Jesus. And through his, what was doing in his life, he just literally disappeared from mine. My best friend just left. And like a lot of 21-year-old people, I didn't know what to do with that. And so if, if I could just diagnose it, I was hurting and I was hurt. That. I didn't understand. Now, he had to make some decisions for himself to move towards health, but I didn't understand them. And I began to do what a lot of people do when they're hurt is, well, hurting people hurt people. So in my hurt, I would literally, in my hurt, when I became overwhelmed and I missed my friend and I didn't understand why he left me, I literally began to call and leave him voicemails. Mean ones. Like, like mean ones, Right? Now, this friend has now gotten connected into Pastor Danny's youth group, right? And he's being discipled by Danny and some others. And so this friend of mine is literally showing up to small group each week and playing the voicemail and prayerfully saying, what do I do about this, right? 
So like my reputation preceded me, right? I was like known in the church. And so when I sat down in the worship service and I see my friend in the back and talking to them, and then my friend sees me and he turns white as a sheet, right? And I see them talking like, like I'm like, I'm out. Like, no, no, because here's the thing. I, Jesus has gotten a hold of my heart, but not that part, right? Not that part. Yet I didn't drive there, so I couldn't leave. <sighs> so I'm sitting there. Have you ever been there? Like, just, <sighs> just like I'm raging inside, and I see them talk. And it's very clear at this point. They're talking about me. Auditorium's not even as big as this. They're just talking about me. And then worship ends. All right, and in, do, in, in true Danny fashion, imagine, you think of how much energy Danny has now. Think of like 23-year-old him, right? With his crazy hair, right? And he just like gazelle bounces up onto the stage, right? Like, and he walks up there and this is a room full of middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults. And he's like, so excited you guys are here. Oh my gosh, God is doing something in our midst. You guys are bringing friends. This is incredible. But I got to tell you, and here it comes. He goes, when I look out here, some of you being here, it's like Satan himself showing up to church. <laughs> and he looks at me. And I am raging inside, right? But I didn't drive there, so I can't leave. And so I had to sit there. And I'm so mad. And by the way, Danny and I have talked about this. He doesn't like, this isn't a practice we still do, all right? But you can imagine how surprised they were when I showed up, right? And of course, like only the Holy Spirit does, Danny had, through Danny, the Holy Spirit had planned a message on forgiveness that day. And they had built a stinking bridge on the stage, like only Christians can do, right? And they had given this invitation and said, hey, if we, and Danny actually, I still remember the message. Danny did a great job of talking about how forgiveness is a journey. And so like, it doesn't mean you do all of it right now. You forgive as much as you can for this moment, and he just gave an invitation and said, if you want to start that journey, because you have been forgiven yourself, then come up, come up on stage and walk across the bridge. And I'm sitting there like, heck no, like, nope, not, I am not doing this. Like, no, that guy called me Satan. I am not doing it. And then they do what they do, which is they played this worship song, and then in the quiet of, just at least my quiet, the Holy Spirit began to like tap on my shoulder and eventually tap on my heart. And I began to see past the human side of all this and that God was in the midst of all of this. And so I got up and I walked across the stage and I walked over the bridge and my tall lanky friend walked up on stage and we have this like confrontation up on stage right there in front of everybody. And we both lose it like babies and just cry and hug like a stinking Disney movie or something. They're up on stage. I think back to that moment right now, and it seems like someone else's story a little bit, right? But I think now a, a couple things. One, I think that I was open, and the, the blessing was that I had a space that I... if. I was telling Jesus, as much as I was able to, I want to be your disciple, I want to follow you, and yet I had this area of me that didn't want to follow him, I didn't want to forgive, I didn't want to address that, I was hurt, and I, I felt very, very validated in my hurt, and so the very first place that Jesus made me go was straight there, 
right? And I'm thankful that I had a space where others were holding that space and just, they weren't, they weren't going to make sure that I forgave that day, but they just held the space and said, this is what it means to follow Christ, is to move towards this. And, and that, my friends, is what discipleship is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be this idea of us moving towards Christ messily, even when your pastor calls you Satan, right? So here's the thing. Peter is being discipled by Jesus a little bit publicly. But Jesus says this really unique thing next. He, he rebukes Peter, and then, like he always does, like he did in my story, he used the circumstances for his own glory. And it says in verse 34, it says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, So, the, so Peter's there. The disciples are there, and then there's an entire crowd of people that have been following Jesus, but they're a little bit farther away. They're not getting all the one-on-ones with Jesus, or at least as many, but they're still following him, even from afar. And Jesus says, no, 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 this isn't just for the one or for the 12. This is for everybody to hear. Pull them all in. So you can imagine, like, this pause, and everybody has to get up and come over so that Jesus can share, and he shares this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole, whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can, you, can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now Jesus gives some really important instructions, but I need you to see something. I need you to see that Jesus has a core team, yet this message of making disciples and being a disciple isn't just for this select kind of qualified few, even though the disciples, when you dive into their story, definitely weren't qualified. But he said, this message everyone needs to hear. Anyone following wherever you're at in the following journey, everyone needs to hear this. He says, whoever wants to meet my disciple, he's given some instructions. So he said, it has to begin with desire. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Now that want originates in God. We are are invited into this faith. But friends, one of the things I I love to share is like, I don't say it's a full blessing, but one of the blessings I had is coming to faith at 21. It was was all, I was an adult and it was my choice, right? And so for many of us that maybe grew up in the church, we're so ingrained into the rhythm of just going to church that honestly, like the desire doesn't even need to be there for me to be at church. Yet to be a disciple of Christ, one apprenticing under Jesus, Jesus clarifies and said, desire needs to be one of the first things that happens in your heart and life. We show up, we desire less of me and more of him. And then he says, the disciples must deny themselves, that we have to embody a denial, that we have to move past just what we want, our desires. We can't just create the church in our image, the ministries of the church in our image. There has to be a denying of what I want for the greater good. And he says that they must take up their cross, that there must be a death. There must be, a, and not just a death, but a willing death. When it embraces death and trusts that resurrection is on the other side of it, but you have to willingly walk into that death. And after all that, it says, and follow me. So those aren't the end, they're they're the beginning. Desire, denial, and death bring us to now get with Jesus. 
That's the prerequisite. Get with Jesus now. Do life with him and learn as you go. Learn as you, as you walk through your life. And Jesus says, this message isn't just for a select few. It's for the entire crowd to hear. And here's why that matters. Here's our not, second not-so-simple question. How do you make disciples? Okay, like, like make one, right? Create it. As the discipleship pastor of Kessa Church, here's my answer. You don't. You don't, right? You don't have the ability to make a disciple right? You have the ability to be a disciple and see what that does in your life. Now look back at our verse, Matthew 28, the, the, the um, verse 19 that we started with. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples. So it says there's going to be new ones, and your job is to teach them how to be a disciple, and you have to be careful to not make them in your image, Right? And the only way you could not make them in your image is if you stay connected to me and I keep transforming you and you help that transformation just kind of ripple out from you. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me, let me nerd out just a little bit for you, Okay. As this passage begins, therefore, go and make disciples. In the original language of the New Testament, in Greek, the word that many Bibles translate as go, go and make disciples, might literally be translated as be, being already on the go or, or as you are going, right? So I need you to see the subtle but huge shift that that can make between go and make disciple and as you are going, make disciples. Go and make disciples almost carries with it this, I need to become a full-fledged, all-the-way disciple myself, get fully prepared, and then I need to get on a plane or a boat or a wherever, and I need to go all the way over there, and then I need to build the discipleship factory, and then I need to call people into there, and then they need to leave as fully-made disciples, right? But the shift over to as you go make disciples is different. You just go where you go, and you make disciples there. Where do I make disciples? Wherever I go. The emphasis is that you are connected to Jesus and you are sent wherever you're at, in your job, in your family, wherever you are. And the emphasis isn't picking up from here and going all the way over there, which, by the way, for some of us it is. But that's why the, the relationship with Jesus is so important because once you hear that from him, then you go because that's where you're supposed to go. But for most of us, I don't know if you're anything like me, but especially when I was kind of learning this thing, there was this, okay, I need to go and get fully educated as a disciple, and then I'll pack that in my suitcase, and I'll bring that wherever, and I'll just give that away, right? But the shift that Jesus, I think, is inviting us into is that as you go, discipleship is without barriers, limitations, and even qualifications, we share what we hear from Jesus as we go, wherever we're at in our lives. It is not described something that has already happened, but a dynamic process that is happening in the life of the individual. I shared a little bit about my story before. When I was a brand new believer, I was a bartender, right? I worked at a restaurant, right? And the only message I knew was Jesus loves me. And this profound thing happened where I began to recognize that Jesus loved me and then light bulb went off. 
that means he loves you too. Like, like it seems like elementary, but I promise I didn't walk through life seeing everyone as an eternal being, as a person created in the image of God, worthy of love and respect and honor and care, right? I just kind of went through life. And all of a sudden that light bulb went off and I literally had uh, reviews at work and they were like, what happened to you? You're different, right? And I was like, well, I learned Jesus loves me and he loves you too. And then all of a sudden I brought like 40 people from my, my big restaurant to church, right? You know how I discipled? With Jesus loves you. That was the, the, the extent of the, the theology that I knew and that was enough. I was a disciple maker to that degree, right? I didn't learn this at the time and I didn't even know that I was doing it. But this is the way that God has designed it. Is you disciple to the degree that that you understand or are experiencing God's love. It isn't about getting to a particular place and then saying, okay, now I'm ready. I'm sitting on top of the mountain. Now I can impart my wisdom. But here's the thing. It's never been your wisdom to share. It's always been his. It's always his love and his grace. We are his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us, making disciples for him everywhere we go. I talked to a new friend this week about this idea of marketplace ministry. Just passionate about this. Like, when you think about this, like, what better place to share the love of God and the gospel than your workplace that probably isn't centered on the love of God and the gospel, right? But I think you're uh, probably like me. You're like, how the heck would I do that, right? Like, and I have a job to do, and I have a, how the heck would I do that? To me, that seems like an awesome opportunity for you to get with Jesus, and ask him. Like, like maybe, maybe you have coworkers, right? I want to ask this question. When is the last time that you've taken a coworker, one of these eternal beings, people, someone that God has placed inside your story, and just taken them and said, God, I see this much of them, but you see the whole story. Would you show me more? Show me how to love them like you do, how to see them that way. What might need to increase? Maybe in my flesh, when I don't want to deny myself, I'm annoyed by them. But maybe this story isn't about me. And maybe what needs to increase is my patience and kindness in spite of this person. Maybe my actions, maybe this can be the Jesus that they see today. Maybe I can disciple them in embodying kindness and patience for them. You see how that ripple so here's the thing. We so want to do the big things, right? We so want to build the giant discipleship thing, and we're going to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until we can do that. Yet if we just said, who, Lord, have you given me in my life that I might embody the mission? Teach me how to love them. But that's why we have to get refined and clear on the mission. See, friends, Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing? He could answer anything. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you love God. You say loving God. You don't stop that. You be in relationship with him. And he teaches you how to love others. And by the way, your capacity to love others is 100% dependent on your ability to love yourself. That you are a part of God's creation as well, worthy of love. Now, I'm not saying love of self. I'm saying to love yourself. And as you know who you are, because you can't love what you don't know. So, so 
Many of us can't love ourselves because we're so far from ourselves. We're pretending and trying. And he says, this is the core of what we do. And so that's the most important thing. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's saying, go and do that. So it's not about the going as much. It's just do that and do that wherever you go, in your workplace, in your family. And so I was thinking about this this week, and one of my, I am a pastor <laughs> who also really cares about emotional health, has invested part of my life into that. And I know one of the things I've become to be aware of more, more and more each day and each year is the importance of early childhood experiences of our stories of our families, right? And when I think about discipleship now, I think sometimes we think of these big programs, and I think the greatest programs that, that churches can have is parents and grandparents and cousins and uncles, right? Giving experiences to children about what it means to love, how to show up in love. And I think for a lot of us, we want to say, I, I can't mean tell you how many people I've sat down with and they've been like, I don't know what my ministry is, right? And I, I just want to draw a circle, around, a really small circle around them and say, well, who's there? Let's start there. We, we're so passionate about the going all the way over there, and maybe that will come, but I think for a lot of us, God needs to see and wants to see and even unveil in us that we can be faithful in this place to embody love. And so we ask the question, who's next to me? Who can I bring the mission? And this is the scary thing. That means you are to disciple your spouse, right? You disciple your kids, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, right? You ever tried to disciple your spouse before, right? But what if the difference wasn't hierarchical? Wasn't, what if it wasn't about authority over it was just, I'm just sharing what God has done in my life and how he's loved me, and I'm just going to offer that over here because it's not my job to make you a disciple. I'm just going to be one, and I can't help but share what he's doing in my life, right? Do you see how this subtly shifts things? One way that Jesus continues to teach, we see in the life of Peter. In the Gospel of John, verse 21, fast forward This man, Peter, is following Jesus, and Jesus does exactly what he says he's going to do. He goes, and he's arrested, and he's tortured, and he's crucified, and he's killed. And as this is happening, you can imagine how disorienting this is for Peter. And he doesn't know what to do. And as he's sitting there processing that, other people recognize him as a disciple, apprentice of Jesus, and they out him. And three times he denies. Three times he says, I'm not an apprentice. I'm not a follower. I'm not a disciple of Jesus. And what does he do? He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. And so we pick up this story, and he's fishing. He's been fishing all night, and he can't, hasn't caught anything. And someone from shore, someone from shore says, why don't you throw your net on the other side? And he does so, and the net fills with fish. And this beautiful thing happens. And, and at some point, they get close enough to shore where they, they can, somehow they couldn't recognize who shouted that before. And now they see, and it's Jesus. And this Peter, this boisterous Jesus, or this bo boisterous man sees Jesus. And because he's so boisterous and crazy, he can't just wait for the boat to get over there. He jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus. And this is what, like, 
I love the Bible for the humanness of it. Can you imagine the person who sees Jesus and just wants to be near him and dives in the water and each stroke through the water, there's this conversation happening inside of him and that can't be Jesus. I saw him die. It can't be him. And he gets out of the water and he sees Jesus and you can, you can think that there has to be a moment when he comes down from that high of seeing Jesus and recognizing that not only is this Jesus, but this is the person I denied being a disciple of. And he knows it. And you're face to face with Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, he says, let's have some breakfast. So they sit there and they have breakfast together. And I want, have you ever had like a, a meal with somebody where there's like tension, right? And you can like hear chewing. Like normally there's conversation that's going over it and it's just tense there, right? And Jesus just, I can imagine Jesus just sits next to him and they're preparing the breakfast and it says they ate the entire breakfast. And at some point Jesus turns to Peter and he says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Reinstilling the entire foundation, this whole thing that we're doing, come back to love. Come back to relationship with me, right? You left, you lost that. Do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You had freedom to do whatever you wanted to do. But when you're old, and this is speaking to discipleship, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God with as a disciple of Christ. And after saying this, he said to him that simple call again, follow me. So this whole thing doesn't work if you're apart from me. You can have all the principles necessary to follow me, but if you're not like literally next to me, this whole thing doesn't work. You have to be next to me for me to apprentice you. So I see what's happening. And I love this is Jesus. This is a master class, by the way, on leadership for someone who's failed and living in shame. You know what they need most of the time? A meal. Relationship. Don't we kind of know when we messed up most of the time? Do we need a, a nine-point message on what we've done? Now, sometimes people need to hold this space where we, can, we need to like see the 10th, 11th, and 12th point, right? But most of the time that we, we know, right? So Jesus gives a master lesson on leadership here, and he just calls Peter back to their original miss, mission. Love me. Follow me. That's all we need. That's it. That's the whole thing. When I was... Looking at this story, I came across another one that really impacted me this week. There is a famous violin maker named Stradivari in the 17th century, and he's one of the most famous kind of instrument makers. And the unique thing about, about him is he would make these violins, but he would do it all by touch and feel. So he didn't write down dimensions, and he didn't write down measurements, and he would just find a piece of wood, and he would find the right piece of wood, and he would create this beautiful, amazing, magnificent thing that 
that created the most beautiful sounds out of it. So everyone wanted to apprentice under him, right? But the unique thing is you couldn't come, you couldn't come with your paper and your pen and, and learn. No, that's not how he did this. So to apprentice under him, you had to come and literally sit elbow to elbow because this particular teacher would grab a piece of wood and he would just feel it. And he knew too heavy and he would hand it over and the apprentice would have to go, okay, so that's what too heavy feels like. Okay. And then you would have to sit there and then you'd get the next piece of wood and this one's too soft and this one's not the right grain. And so, oh, okay, this is, so that's what too soft looks like. And discipline and commitment to staying just elbow to elbow to the teacher, moment after moment, violin after violin, the knowledge and the truth and the wisdom of the teacher became the knowledge and the truth and the wisdom of the apprentice. And not only did he know that here, but it became an embodied knowledge where he knew it in his fingers. He knew when it was right. He knew he had been trained in a new way of seeing and being. This is the way that Jesus has designed us to disciple. This is the way that Jesus has designed us to be discipled. It's just elbow to elbow. He continually, he'll speak to crowds and then he pulls everyone in and he does this through relationship, elbow to elbow. Sometimes it's a one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes it's 12, sometimes it's the crowd, but it's always that, elbow to elbow. We're invited into relationship. And friends, this is exactly how you're called to disciple as well. So instead of building the biggest program, you start with the idea, who has God placed at your elbow? Who's there right now that needs to experience the living God through your grace, the embodied love of God through your showing up in their life? Beyond that, this is the other scary part of this. It makes you question where your elbows are too, right? Who am I touching and who am I learning from? Right? Who, am I, who am I getting um, wisdom and truth from? Could it be that that needs to adjust? Could it be that it can't just be where I want to be? Could it be that there's a denial necessary for me to move towards learning from others? I think back to that, I don't know why, this just came to mind. I think back to that early, early, early Christian Chris, and there was a woman named Cheryl White that was on staff at the church there, and I would just show up to the church sometimes because I just wanted to be elbow to elbow. I didn't even realize it, and I'd go sit at her desk like next to her and talk to her. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just must've been so annoying, right? She had work to do. And yet I just didn't know what, I just wanted to learn and be. And yet she was so gracious and kind to do her work as she listened to my story and was gracious and kind with me. See friends, I want to normalize the immense responsibility of discipleship for us. You are called to be a disciple maker. Now, you're not going to get discipleship right. Peter didn't, and he trained under Jesus, right? Because here's the beautiful thing. You don't need to become Jesus. You don't need to become the rabbi. You just need to become the one that is training under him, and you share what you're experiencing, and that is enough. We trust God with the overflow of that. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is with, learns from, and becomes like Jesus. Desire, denial, and death are just part of the journey. And how do you make them? 
You love them elbow to elbow. Who has God placed next to you to disciple and love? You begin by looking at who is there now. And for those of us who are looking to be discipled and, and to continue to grow and maybe even find new spaces, just a few thoughts. One, we're going to be doing a baptism service next month at the end of our uh, next series that starts next week. At the end of June, we'll be doing a baptism service where we, <laughs> I, think, I think what baptism is, is the expression of a desire to be a Christ follower and a commitment to that denial and death as much as you're able. All right? And so for some of us, it's just taking the next step towards that. For some of us, though, that have been baptized, and that's already a part of our story. For some of us, it's risking even to share with somebody else that might be interested in faith right now, that that's happening as well, or even inviting them to be a part of that. For others of us, this is showing up on Monday nights at our Columbia campus to our recovery ministry, showing up in your full story and realizing that I don't know the way out, but there's others that have linked up elbow to elbow with Jesus and know the way out of my addiction and my my brokenness. And so I link up with them. For other, I love doing this, guys. I like picking on you, right? We don't do relationship well. We do doing well, right? right but we really like the doing that is getting other things done. But when it comes to the internal work, right, that takes some real dedication. We have a men's event on June 5th, Sunday night, all right, here, that a whole, this whole place will fill with other men that are on the same journey as hopefully you are, learning what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Would love for you to be a part of that. We have a women's event coming up in June. We have a young adults ministry that meets on Tuesday night. There are places to come and be with others that are on the journey. And you don't have to show up finished. You just have to show up in your story. So what I hope is that you just have a commitment to that. That there is a recommitment to being a disciple maker, but the, the freshness is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You're not a finished product. He is. And you just show up to the journey. So here's how I'd like to just close our time and send you into Memorial Day, right? As we began the service, I'd love for you to extend your hands like this. Okay? And I just want to pray over us here. Okay? Before I pray, I just feel like it's important to, to say... Some of us here may say, you know what? I've never signed up for this whole Jesus disciple thing, all right? I'm not a disciple of his yet, all right? And I just want to say that's, that's fine and good. That, that's, that's you and your story, but I promise you, you're discipled by someone, right? And if you don't think you're discipled by someone, then the scariest part of that is it probably means you're being discipled by you. That you're the one teaching you how to go through the new storm and the new crisis, right? And we need a fresh, batch of love. I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. Let's pray. I'll look out, Lord, and I see stories, and I see lives, and I see eternal beings. I see people created in the image of God, and I see people who are attached to people. I see human beings loved by you in different places in their story. Some of them are in the 12. Some of them are in the midst of a Jesus rebuke right now. Or some of them, some of us, are in the crowd and we're really comfortable back there. We want, we want to hear from Jesus, but like 
through three other people. And yet for anyone, there's an invitation to just be with you, Lord. I pray that there is a commitment to disciple others as much as we are able, bringing the love that you have given to us to anyone that is next to us, Lord. And so may that start today. May there be a conviction in our hearts to embody that. And Lord, may that be enough. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.